Good morning. <clears throat> this morning, uh, when before I even got here, uh, I, I had this strong sense that um, because of the word that I'm going to bring today, it's called uh, the profound mystery: Christ and His Church. Um, you know, the, the spiritual realm is very real. You guys know that? Just because we can't see it doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. I've actually, um, one of my Bible teachers said that he almost thought that the spiritual realm was more real than the physical, just because the things that happen there can be eternal. Um, These things are all temporal. But I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the one area where the enemy wants to destroy lives is in, in marriages, that the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy and to bring division. So if you could indulge me, I would, I would like us to take authority against the spiritual forces of darkness and the principalities and the rulers in the air. I know this tends to be kind of a theme right now in our church. Um, they're doing a, a couple of ladies' Bible studies on Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to get into that in a few weeks, talking about spiritual war- warfare and how do we engage in that warfare. But for right now, would you, I know, I know you're exhausted from standing for 30 minutes to worship, but if you could just stand up again. And American Fork, if you guys would join us too, if you guys would stand and we can just take authority in the name of Jesus. And Lord, we do come into your presence and we thank you that you are the God of the armies, that you are the Lord of the hosts. Lord, we thank you that we do not need to fear. Lord, that you hold all things in your hands. But Lord, we also, like your word says, having done all, we want to stand. And we we want to take a stand against the evil one, the one who wants to bring division and confusion and discouragement and depression and all of those things that the evil one wants to bring. And we stand against the spiritual forces of wickedness, Lord, and we declare that you are the king, you are the Lord. We stand in your authority, Jesus, because of what you did for us on the cross. I just ask in Jesus' name, Lord, that you would open up the the ears of those who would listen today, open up the hearts. Lord, you would bring hope to the hopeless today. Father, you would bring courage to those who are discouraged. Lord, you would bring joy to those who are depressed and downtrodden. Bring your word this morning, Lord, by your grace, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. I won't make you stand the whole time. So we've been in the book of Ephesians. If you're here for the first time, uh, we've been going through Ephesians for about, I think, three months now, which probably seems like a long time if you consider that it's only six chapters in the New Testament. It's one of what they call the epistles. It's a a letter written to a church. The passages that we're getting into today, it's only three short verses, but it it is an amazing and a profound word from the Lord. And Um, it explains kind of the mystery of marriage. I don't want you to check out if you're not married or if, uh, you know, you think, oh, I'm single, I'm called to be single, I can just take a nap now. I mean, you're welcome to take a nap if you'd like, but but, uh, I, I think that it's important for us to know what the whole counsel of God says, not just certain parts that we kind of pick and choose. So this is the profound mystery, Christ in the church. Could you read this out loud with me, please? Ephesians 5.31. As the scriptures say, 
a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Number one, a man must leave his father and mother and is joined to his wife. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother, is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is the only relationship, apart from our relationship with the Lord, but the relationship of husband and wife is the only one where two people become one. Your children are a part of you, but they're not, you're not one with your children, nor are you one with your parents. A married couple becomes one in spirit, in purpose, physically, hopefully emotionally. That's a little more challenging. <laughs> but two become one, and that is the significance of this passage. It's a profound mystery because it is a reflection of Christ in his church. And today we're going to talk about some different areas where this is demonstrated to us. We're going to get into some, some kind of crazy Bible Bible stuff, and we're going to talk about some ways that um, that the the marriage plan, the way that God had intended it, um, sometimes doesn't work out. We're going to get into some areas of uh, abandonment and uh, divorce and remarriage and what the Bible says about these things. Number two, the two shall become one. In Genesis 1, we're going back to the beginning. Everything flows from Genesis, right? And everything points toward Jesus in the entire Bible. Everything, every single story. You'll be surprised today to get the connection when we get into this a little bit later. But it says that God made all sorts of wild animals, livestock, and small animal, livestock and small animals, each able to produce offspring of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. Again, <clears throat> the way we use the word good, the way we throw it around, it's like, Hey, did you see the movie last night? How was it? It was good. It was good. It's not like that. This good means really incredibly good. Not like some people would say pizza's good, right? This is not like pizza good. This is like God good. He said it was good after he had created. Imagine, he's just created the universe. Everything, everything in the universe and all the the galaxies and everything. He's like, that is good, right? And it says, then God said, let us make human beings. This was, it was already good before us. Creation was already good before us. Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And down a little further in verse 31, it says, And God looked over all he had made, and he saw that it was what? It was what? Very good. 
Very good. Now, the English doesn't really encapsulate how profound this is and to what extent this is expressing how amazing it was to God. He delights in us. He delighted to create in us. I mean, imagine he's forming all these people and it's in real time, but, you know, God's forming all these people and, it's, and it says in the word that he delights in us. He actually enjoyed creating us. He enjoys hanging out with us. And it says that he looked over all he had made and he saw that it was very good. He created male and female. And do you see back up there where it says we will make human beings in our image? They will be like us. Do you see what's happening here? This is God saying this. It's Trinitarian. You see that? It's a powerful thing. We won't get into that today, but I just, oh, I love that. Number three, this is a profound mystery. In Ephesians 5.32, it says it's a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. Now, Christ calls us his body. He calls us his bride. We are the bride of Christ. For men, I, I don't know if that seems weird to you or not, but we're all members of one body and Jesus is our groom and he's coming back for his bride. You know, in the Israelite culture, a couple would be engaged, betrothed, whatever, promised to each other and they were considered married at that point, even though they hadn't consummated their relationship. But then the groom would go away and he would prepare a house. He would make this wonderful dwelling and then when that was completed, he would come back and get his bride on a day she didn't even know. So every single day she had to be ready. She had to be prepared so that when her groom came back to take her to her home, they would get married and then go live in that. Does that sound familiar? Does this sound just like the gospel? It's just what Jesus does for us. It says that we need to be ready just in case. Just in case our groom's coming back, we want to be ready, right? We can't just assume, ah, uh, He's not going to come back for a long time because I'm praying every day. Come, Lord Jesus, come back. Hurry back. Hasten the day, God. He is our soon coming king. He will be returning to take his bride home. And that is what marriage is supposed to symbolize to the world, Christ and the church. I'd like to introduce you to a lady named Ann Eliza Young. She, there's Ann Ann Eliza Hi, Annalisa. Cute outfit. Um, I don't know about the hair, but um, anyway, Annalisa Young was the 19th wife of Brigham Young. And she wrote a book called Wife Number 19. And when we first moved here, I read that book, and it was very, very difficult to get through. Um, It was very emotional for me to realize that people had lived like this. And she talked, I mean, the book's like this big. It's eight and a half by 11. It's like this thick, and it's like a three-point font. I mean, it's very hard to read. Um, But she met this couple. Um, It was a pastor and his wife. And this is what she said. It was the first glimpse I had ever seen of domestic life outside of polygamy. And the deference which the husband showed to the wife the confidence she displayed in him and her perfect ease in his presence were very strange to me. 
I could not understand this religion which regarded women as an independent soul with a free will and capable and a capability of judgment. The inferiority of women is so strongly insisted upon by the Mormon doctrine that I suppose that it must be the same everywhere. And this, the first view which I got of this sweet household, was a revelation to me. This is talking about Christ and the church. This husband loving his wife and and honoring her and this woman respecting her husband and and showing him such confidence and being so, they were so, you can tell they were enamored of each other. And it was a testimony of Christ in the church. And Anne Eliza Young, after having seen this, gave her heart to Christ and went about years later speaking against the evils of polygamy Does your marriage reflect Christ in the church? Has anybody come to Christ because of your marriage? When they see the way that you treat one another, honoring what the Lord says about women submitting themselves to their husbands and to men loving their wives, laying down their lives, does your marriage reflect Christ in the church? Or are you just like everyone else, like your neighbors, snapping at each other, putting each other down, belittling each other. I'm not saying this in any judgment because I struggled with it for years, but I want to offer you the promise that the quicker you repent, which just means to change your mind, and the quicker you confess, which means to just agree with what's already happened, the quicker that you confess and repent, the sooner God can deliver you. You know, it used to take me days to apologize if I had disrespected my husband. You know, I'd say something to him that didn't honor him. And it would take me a long time to get to the point where I would say, you know what, I I treated you wrong. I didn't respect you. I didn't treat you with honor. Please forgive me. And little by little, throughout the years, I became quicker to stop after maybe I had said something that was not honoring. I'd say, you know what, I'm sorry. My tone is, was not right. I wasn't, I wasn't being respectful. Please forgive me. This doesn't just apply to marriage, incidentally. This applies to all of our relationships. You know, the, the quicker that you admit, the quicker that you just confess it and invite the Holy Spirit in, the sooner you will be de- delivered from whatever that sin is. But in this case, in marriage... When, when women are really being respectful to their husband and men are being loving to their wives, it is a reflection of Jesus to the world. Because, you know, all the TV shows or whatever, you know, the husband is a big doofus, you know, and the wife's kind of the, you know, controlling, nagging wife. That's so far from how God had originally intended it. We're called to, to lay down our lives. We're called to prefer others. You know, we've been talking about this for a few weeks. That is what we're called to do, regardless if they respond the right way and regardless if they're grateful and regardless if they're, you know, even attentive to that. That when we do it unto the Lord, it is a reflection of Christ in the church. Today I'm going to talk to you, excuse me, I'm going to talk to you about kind of a crazy story that's, it's actually in the Bible and... Um, it's one of those that 
when I first came to Christ, I, I thought everything that was in the Bible was, a, was the way we were supposed to be. So this was a very confusing story. This is the story of Hosea. How many of you are familiar with Hosea? Okay, this is a really interesting, unique story. But remember what I said earlier. Everything in the Bible points to whom? To Jesus. So Hosea was a prophet. And it says, Hosea chapter 1. When the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea, he said to him, Go and marry a prostitute so that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. This will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. Let's go back. Go and marry a what? A hooker. And her name was Gomer. Can you imagine naming your little girl Gomer? That's like child abuse. Surprise, surprise, surprise. Anybody remember that Gomer pile? God told Hosea to marry a hooker, a lady of the evening, as they would a hooker, a prostitute. Now you're like, okay, God, your thoughts are not my thoughts. Your ways are not my ways, clearly in this case. I mean, think about this. Let your head just get wrapped around this. Hosea is a prophet of God. He's a righteous man. He's trying to live a life of purity and reverence to the Lord. And God says, by the way, marry a whore. <laughs> like, wow. And why? So that her children will be conceived in prostitution. Because isn't that every parent's dream? <laughs> but this is a symbol of Christ and the church because what, go, what happens is they end up having a daughter and her name means one who is not loved. And then they have a son and his name means one who is not my child or not of my people. And then, as you could imagine, marrying a prostitute, she's not the most faithful wife. She goes out continues to whore herself, gets herself in a mess, comes back. Hosea opens his arms, accepts her, and receives her. This keeps going on, and this is symbolizing whom? Us. We are Gomer. Say that out loud. I am Gomer. I am Gomer. <laughs> because the Bible is so clear. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us. Every one of us. It says in Romans 7, that which I want to do, I can't do. That which I don't want to do, I keep doing. We are like Gomer. And Hosea is like whom? Jesus. Hosea continues, even when she gets to the point where she has destituted herself, she sells herself into slavery. She's a slave. And guess what Hosea does? He buys her back. Wow. That's that message right there. It's the message of the cross. That Jesus paid the ultimate price 
so that we would no longer be slaves. Because it's clear in the Bible, either you're a slave to righteousness, a slave to doing what's right according to God, or you're a slave to sin. You're a slave to doing what is right according to you, to selfishness. One or the other, there's no gray in this. You're owned by someone. And the Bible says that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you are a disciple, your life is no longer your own. You have been bought with a price. That Jesus went to the cross for Gomer, for us, for the prostitute, for the unfaithful, for the one that continues to sin, the one that continues to fall short of his glory. And I'm not saying that, well, as long as I'm going to sin, I might as well sin big. That's not what it's about. Because when you really, truly understand the message of the cross, you don't want to sin. You're so grateful. When you think of the things that you have been forgiven, you don't want to sin. You want to honor him. You want to honor the Lord in all your ways. And the Lord made a covenant with Israel in the same way that Hosea did with Gomer. And if you doubt that you needed to be saved or you doubt that someone needed to pay the price, if you read Psalm 51, it says, For I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me, but you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. We are all born sinners, aren't we? We're bo- I mean, you think about what does the baby do the minute it comes out of the womb? right? They're ticked off. They want their way. They want to go back. They're like, why did you make me come out here? This is horrible. There's lights and people and I want to go back into the womb. Babies come out demanding, don't they? Here's the litmus test. How many of you ever had to teach your two-year-old how to say no? Anybody? Anybody have to teach their child not to share Anybody have to teach your child not to be selfish? Nope, that comes pretty naturally, doesn't it? We are bent on getting our own way, right? We all are. I think I insulted someone, but it's true. We're either slaves to righteousness and that which is right and that which is life-giving, or we're slaves to sin, that which is wrong and that which will rob us of our life, rob us of our joy, rob us of our peace, and contentment. Going on in Hosea, in uh, chapter 14, it says, Oh, Israel, stay away from idols. See, this was the problem. She kept going out and worshiping idols, which was typical of the Israelites. And, you know, that's what the number one commandment is. God says, you will love me first and foremost. You will have no other gods before me. And isn't it interesting that this is the the picture of Christ in the church. This is the picture of Hosea marrying a prostitute and, and of Gomer going out and worshiping something else, even though she has a faithful husband at home, she goes out and she, and it says, stay away from idols. I am the one who answers your prayers and cares for you. I advanced too far. Sorry. Um, I am like a tree that is always green. All your fruit comes from me. This is the Lord speaking. Let those who are wise understand these things. 
Who wants to be wise? I want to be wise. Let those with discernment listen carefully. The paths of the Lord are true and right, and righteous people live by walking in them. But, those in, those, but in those paths, sinners stumble and fall. The reason that I included this passage is because even in our marriages, I think oftentimes people look to their spouse for their fulfillment. And you will never be fulfilled through another human being. There is no one on earth who can fulfill you but your creator, but the one who formed you, the one who paid the price so that you could have a relationship with your creator. That's the only one that's going to fulfill you. All of your satisfaction and all of your fulfillment will come through Jesus. Trust me, I've tried everything else. It doesn't work. You know, it says, it says that um, if we really truly seek the Lord, that we will find him. And it says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You can't look to your spouse or anyone else in your life to satisfy you, to satisfy your longings, to satisfy your needs. And the quicker you come to that determination, the more fulfilled you'll be in your marriage and in your other relationships because it'll be good here. You know, too often, I think people come into marriage with a contract mentality rather than a covenant. You know, Jesus made a covenant with us. His covenant was I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will never reject you. You know, a contract is a legal document, and a contract can be broken. If one of the parties doesn't keep up their end of it, the contract can be broken. It's null and void. If one person doesn't honor it, then there are clauses that will allow you to break the contract. On the other hand, covenants are not meant to be broken. They are meant to last a lifetime. A covenant says you will honor your vows no matter what, and you will not look for a way out. I want to say this again. I know that I've said this many times, but if you're in an abusive marriage, or if you're in danger, or your children are in danger, this is not to say you need to stay in that situation. That, that would not honor God for you to stay in that situation. However, we can't presuppose that that also means that the Bible says it's okay to divorce in that case. I believe that you have to separate. If your children are in danger, if you're in danger, you need to separate. So when I say you honor your vows no matter what, I'm not saying stay in a dangerous situation. Number two, contracts can specify that the damages need to be paid if the other party is wrong. Covenants do not expect restitution. In other words, if if your spouse doesn't do what you want them to do or if they're not making you happy anymore, if you're in a contract marriage, the contract can be broken. Oh, He's not making me happy anymore. 
Where in the Bible does it ever say that we deserve to be happy? It says we can have joy in all circumstances. We can rejoice in our suffering, but it doesn't really say that we're going to always be happy. Sometimes we're going to go through some hard times. Sometimes we're going to go through sorrow. But when you stand before God and your friends and you make a marriage covenant saying in sickness and in health, for better, for worse, richer, for poor, when you say those things, you make those vows, you are saying that I am doing this for a lifetime, whether they make me happy or not, whether they meet my needs, whether they fulfill me, whether they even continue to walk with God. Yes? Covenants don't expect restitution. You know, if we really recognize that we are slaves to righteousness, we will understand that we don't have any rights. We can't come into our marriage and go, I deserve whatever. If you, if you do it unto the Lord, God will meet your needs. He will supply all of your needs. Number three, a contract can be selfish in nature. It is meant to protect oneself. That's why we have contracts, right? You know, you have a contract with someone. If you're selling them something, there's a contract that says, you know, this product is as is and da-da-da-da or whatever. It's, it's to protect the parties or one of the parties. You know, you have your cell phone contract to kind of to protect the cell phone company so that you don't just bail or whatever, that you make your payments. I mean, contracts are meant like for a self-protection kind of a thing. But a marriage covenant is selfless in nature, and it is not self-seeking, because it says in 1 Corinthians 13, 5, that love seeks not its own. It says that love is selfless. Love gives up its own way for another. And again, I'm not talking about excusing sinful behavior. You know, for example, if your spouse wants you to view questionable materials with you or whatever and you know it's a sin before God then obviously this that's not what this is talking about marriage is supposed to be losing your life for another person laying down your life for another person I like to say marriage is kind of like third grade the three rules of third grade no hitting no spitting and share right in marriage there shouldn't be any name calling you should never Never call your spouse a name. Curse them in that way. Oh, you're such an idiot. These things should never happen. Never. If that is the person that you're one with, you should speak words of encouragement and blessing and life-giving. Remember Hosea. Remember how Jesus treats us, the church. We need to go back to the basics, to love and respect. Ephesians 5.33, it says, I say again, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. We are called to be Christ-like in all of our relationships, in all of our marriages, as well as all of our relationships. We are called to lay down our lives and to serve another human being. And I can promise you that as you do this unto the Lord, he will provide for your needs. If you lose your life for his sake, you will find it.
Sometimes, however, it will not work out. If one member or, or both decide that they're done, they break the covenant, they choose to step away from the covenant. There are a few instances in the Bible that offer the opportunity to separate or to divorce or to split up. But I want to get into that. And the first one is an abandonment by an unbelieving spouse. 1 Corinthians 7.10, But for those who are married, I have a command that comes not from me, but from the Lord. A wife must not leave her husband. But if she does leave him, let her remain single or else be reconciled to him. And the husband must not leave his wife. Now I'll speak to the rest of you, though I do not have a direct command from the Lord. If a fellow believer has a wife who is not a believer and she's willing to continue living with him, he must not what? He must not what? And if a believing woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to continue living with her, she must not leave him. For the believing wife brings holiness to her marriage and the believing husband brings holiness to his marriage. Otherwise, your children would not be holy, but now they are holy. I need to say at this point, if you are uh, not married, do not marry a non-believer. Do not marry a non-Christian. You will bring upon yourself so much sorrow. You know, the Bible says, don't be unequally yoked with non-believers. And what that's talking about was back in the in the time of the Israelites when they had their oxen would tread out the grain they would have a yoke on them and they were supposed to do it together they were supposed to help each other but if one of them was pulling back it would put this strain on the neck of the one that was trying to move ahead and that what that is what that word picture is that if you're dating a non-believer run away run away I can't even tell you how many stories I've seen where people are married to a non-believer and they knew going into it that they shouldn't marry him and they bring sorrow upon sorrow. uh, Verse 15 says, if the husband or wife who isn't a believer insists on leaving, what do you do? Let them go. And I have to say, in this case, if if you're married to someone who is a serial adulterer, someone who continues to go out and commit adultery over and over and over and over, yet calls himself a Christian, you kind of need to look at the fruit. And you have to wonder, could that person really have fellowship with Christ and continue to defile themselves and break their marriage covenant like that? It says, in such cases, a believing husband or wife is no longer bound to the other because the covenant has already been broken, right? One of the parties has left. For God has called you to live in what? What? Peace. God has called you to live in peace. So if you're married to a non-believer and they want to go, let them go. But if they want to stay married to you, then you need, to, you need to work with it and trust the Lord. There's a great story. How many of you have ever heard of Raul Reese, the pastor? 
He has an incredible story. He was apparently a very violent man and an alcoholic, and he had a Christian wife. And one night, she was going to take the kids to church, and Raul got out a gun, and he had planned to kill his whole family when they came back and kill himself. So he was sitting there waiting while his wife was at church, and he decided to turn on the TV, coincidentally turned on a Christian station, and he heard this Christian pastor who presented the gospel. And Raul said that he responded to the gospel. And the pastor, when he tells a story, it's really funny, but he got up and, and the pastor said to put your hands on the TV, you know? That was back in the olden days when you put your hand this way, not this way on the flat screen. So he put his hand on the TV gave his heart to the Lord, and his wife came home from church. And rather than killing her and the kids, he told his wife that he had become a Christian. You can imagine, having lived in this violent home, she was maybe a little hesitant to believe him. And I'm going to try to be sensitive in how I say this, but she said that when they were intimate she would use that as an opportunity to pray for him and to pray that God would change him, change his heart. Even though she struggled herself not to hate him because he was, he was abusive and he was an alcoholic. But through her perseverance and through trusting in the Lord and staying with him, he ended up becoming a Christian. Isn't that amazing? God's word is true. It says, don't you wives realize that your husbands might be saved because of you? Don't you husbands realize your wives might be saved because of you? I know it's a hard word. (laughs) So divorce and remarriage. Um... I kind of agonized this week because I always, I want to make sure that, that you hear this message through the heart of God, through a God of grace and mercy and compassion. So going into this, please understand that that is, God is a God of grace. God is a a God of mercy and forgiveness. Malachi 2 says, didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? In body and spirit, you are his. And what does he want? Godly children from your union. So guard your heart. Keep that in mind. Guard your heart. Remain loyal to the wife of your youth. For I hate divorce says the Lord, the God of Israel. I hate divorce. There are very few things in the Bible that says that God hates anything. But if it says in the word that he hates divorce, I would take that very seriously. And I do believe that the body of Christ has been very flippant about this issue and very contractual in their mentality. Thinking that, oh, my husband, I don't know. He just, we're just, we're just not compatible. Or 
well, my wife really let herself go, so I'm going to go find me a newer model. That is not the heart of God. It is not an option. If you are married to a believer, if you are a believer, it says to divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So guard your heart. Do not be unfaithful to your wife. Matthew 19, it says, Some Pharisees came and tried to trap Jesus with this question. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? See, back in those times, they had all these laws. Women were possessions, and if they displeased their husbands or they found any impurity in them, the husband could just divorce them. And it became kind of rampant. And the men were just displeased with their wives. Like, I don't know, she burnt my gefilte fish. I'm going to divorce her. (laughs) Which, again, is not, you know, it's not a reason. I know gefilte fish is amazing. but, But it says, should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for any reason? See, the Pharisees were always trying to trick Jesus. They were always trying to find the loophole. Always trying to, you know, find the, the law that was going to justify their case rather than the whole counsel of God and understanding the heart of God and what the law was written for and what it was supposed to symbolize. And Jesus said, because he knew this about them, because it says that he knew their hearts. It says, Have you, haven't you read the scriptures? Jesus replied. They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. It says, then why did Moses say in the law that a man could give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away? They asked, Jesus replied, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts. Remember earlier in Malachi, do not harden your hearts. Remember back a few weeks ago in Ephesians 4.32, be tender hearted forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. In your marriage, have a tender heart. I mean, in all your relationships, don't be bound by unforgiveness, but especially in this, because it says, let no one split apart what God has brought together. And it's because of the hardness of their heart. And I've even had women come to me and say, well, my husband is looking at porn, so I think I have biblical grounds to divorce him because the Bible says that if a man looks at a woman with lust, that that's adultery. So I have biblical grounds. And I always say, well, if you've ever been angry with your husband, then you're guilty of murder. So if you really want to measure it like that, then you can do that. (laughs) But you don't have grounds. I tell you this, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery. Unless the wife has been unfaithful. You know, this is a really controversial issue. You know, there are are a lot of different teachings concerning this. Some teachings say that if you have 
been divorced and you remarry, you need to separate and you need to remain single. Like I said earlier, there is confession and there is repentance and I believe this is not the unpardonable sin. But I do believe that some of our marriages are not blessed because we're still living under the shame of divorce and remarriage. And I know that God is a God of grace and God is a God of mercy. I I don't believe that it reflects that to say that if you've remarried, you need to separate. I don't believe that reflects the God of grace. And I want you to be convinced in your own heart, like it says in Romans 14, let each man be convinced in his own heart. And it says to each man's own master, he must stand or fall, and God is able to make him stand. But if this is an area where you feel that you have dishonored the ways of the Lord, I just trust that as you truly humble yourself and you repent and you confess this, that you can receive mercy and find favor with the Lord. You know, sometimes Jesus does things that just don't make sense to us. Sometimes the Lord calls us to do things that seem illogical, like going out and marrying a prostitute for Hosea. But in the same way that Hosea kept receiving Gomer back, he kept receiving her back, he kept embracing her and forgiving her. Our God is a God of grace and forgiveness and mercy. So Ira is going to come forward, and if... um, If this is an area where you need healing or you need um, some help walking through this, we do have a counselor on staff who would be willing to help you out with this. But um, Ira is going to come and bring you instruction. It's a great word, huh? We want to respond to the Lord. Why don't you stand with me right now? You know, in every way in our walk with the Lord, what Jesus said to us is very helpful. With man, it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. So if you're struggling with a situation that has been divorced and, and it's something that you want to bring to the Lord, God is able to do something miraculous there and bring forgiveness, possibly bring healing and reconciliation. If you are struggling in your marriage and you're thinking, I don't know, I've tried everything, God can do it. Do you guys agree? This is, this is what he's called us to, is this great promise of covenant. And we absolutely need him to do it. That's why a cord of three strands is not easily broken. Him being the third. We have to be there. And so I just want to give you the opportunity right now, just those of you that are married, even if your spouse isn't here, just raise your hand to the Lord right now. Let's make an affirmation to the Lord here. Hold each other's hands too. Lord, we just come before you right now. We thank you, God, 
for this great gift that you've given us, this promise that shows your eternal plan for our lives that we get to live out here on earth. And Lord, we, we recognize these vows, this covenant that we have made is before you and before each other. And Lord, we don't want any man to get between it or woman or issue or problem or history or pain. Nothing to get between it. And so right now, Lord, we just give you our lives as married couples, Lord. Do a miraculous work. Bring healing, bring wholeness, bring a new level of oneness that only a covenant relationship can bring. Thank you, Jesus. And Lord, we just want to lift up those that are struggling. Maybe they've been through divorce or thinking about divorce, struggling with separation. Lord, you know how painful this is. It is the exact reason why you hate it, because it brings such horrific pain in our lives. So now we ask, God, that you would bring forgiveness, Lord, in any areas that we have been responsible. And we recognize that there are some terrible things that could be done to us or that we could do within this context of covenant. And so we just bring them before to you right now. And if that's you, I just want to give you that opportunity to just ask the Lord, please forgive me, God. Please forgive me. Set me free. Just bringing things into the light is one of the best things we could do. That's when healing takes place. Confess your sins and you will be healed. If that is where you're at now, do that. Know that going to God is the exact right thing to do. Don't run. God is not a God of judgment, a God of anger, a God of wrath. He is a God of grace, a God of love, and a God of reconciliation. And he desires to meet you right where you're at. Is there anyone here who wants to give their heart to the Lord today for the first time? They've, they've, they've heard about this great God that we serve who has given us his amazing love. And now, you know, it is through the cross that we are forgiven of our sins. Through the cross, Jesus Christ died for our sins. And now we can enter into this amazing relationship. And if that's you while we're praying, I just want to encourage you to just raise your hand. Is there anyone here like that just wants to give their heart to the Lord today? Anyone at all? Yeah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord.